64, a chess podcast, is sponsored by Chessable. To learn more about Chessable and my favorite courses, go to chessable.com slash 64podcast. To 64, a chess podcast. I am David coming at you live as always from Copenhagen, Denmark. My guest today is a world champion and chess journalist um, hailing from Germany. Uh, please welcome Tatiana Flores. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, we'll dive into the world championship, etc., um, shortly. But first, uh, I just want to thank my sponsors as always. Thank you. Aim Chess for sponsoring the show. You can use code David30 to get 30% off your first month of Aim Chess. Also, want to give a big shout out to Chessable for sponsoring the podcast. If you want to learn more about Chessable, go to chessable.com slash 64 pod. And lastly, we do have a Patreon. Uh, check us out, patreon.com slash 64 podcast. The link is in the description of the episode. Uh, but we'll get right in, into it. So, um, first of all, uh, I guess let's, uh, let's just start by learning a bit about uh, you as a chess player. When did you start playing chess? Yes, so um, I had classic chess at school when I was little. I must have been around four or five. Um, and yeah, before getting like into the first grade of school, of primary school, we, we started having some classes. And it was a friend of my, my father. My father was a chess player. And um, then we had chess throughout the years until I was 12 at school. Then um, we didn't have it anymore at school and I was at a quite strict school, so I didn't have time nor energy, to be honest, to, to pursue it somehow um, outside of school. So yeah, years kept going and um, I moved to Germany when I was 14. Um, I was born in Andorra and I lived there until I was 14. So when I took a certain distance from, yeah, my father being a chess player, from Andorra being such a small country where everyone knows everyone, and from chess at school, from my schoolmates and everything, I really got interested into it again. Mm, but of course, new school, new friends, um, New school system I already was pretty busy but I always had it like in my mind and I used to play in the summer vacations with my sister I kind of enjoyed it but I never thought I would like really get seriously into it until I um, felt very very sick when I was 18 um, five six years a long time and at my last day at the hospital when I was already recovering um, there was a guy my age um, in the restrooms was always like playing chess at around noon after lunch and I thought hey I looked at him for a couple of days and I thought to myself like hey you can do the better just go and ask if you can play against him and we became friends like for weeks I still had to stay there and and we started playing chess and um it was more or less like 50 percent I won like 50 percent he lost and after all these years without really playing seriously, no, not even picking up a chess book, I thought like, this is not bad. And it was fun. And I thought like I was getting better, but physically I really couldn't do much. I thought this might be a great thing, perhaps just to kill some time at home then later when I got back home or yeah, just having a hobby where perhaps I could meet, um, join a chess club and meet some new people. Um, so I took a very lightly but um i enjoyed it very much and um when i got back home actually the first lockdown here in germany started so pandemic hit and it was like yay <laughs> plans ruined <laughs> wonderful so um i had to thought i had to rearrange my my plans and um yeah going to a chess club wasn't possible anymore especially like i was still in a very delicate state of health um i would 
want to risk anything. So um, <laughs> I called my dad, he lives in Spain, and um, said, hey, dad. I was like, what's up? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I have a petition. And I told him that if he was able to train other children, chess, he's a chess trainer in his free time at his chess club. I told him, I think you're very much capable of teaching your own daughter. And I said, like, I'm teaching chess. I want to learn chess again, like, well, chess, you know, like really good. And he said, do I have a choice? And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> and he was, well, then um, what about um, Sunday evening? And I'm like, I have plenty of time. <laughs> and there it started. I still had a book of John Nunn. I don't know the title in English because it's in Spanish, but it's like the translation would be like learn chess or learning chess. And um, I went quite quickly through it and I remembered everything. And it was like meeting an old friend after a long, long time. And I got excited about it. And I also was a bit puzzled why I didn't like it that much at school. Maybe it was because scholastic chess is really a different thing from competitive chess. And I also like, as I said, Andorra is a very small country. They only have one chess club, which is actually the whole chess federation in Andorra. <laughs> and um, also never really wanted to be compared to my dad or anyone in my family. I never really liked that. So I think now that I'm grown up and I look back at it, I think that was... Um, a reason for me really trying to keep a distance from it. I said I also had enough other stuff I liked. But um, yeah, I'm really happy that from a really bad thing, like from falling so sick, I actually found something positive came out in the end. And yeah. Now, I, I obviously, uh, you don't have to talk about your sickness further, but is it something that you're still dealing with? Or is it is it something that you've uh, like completely recovered from? No, well, um, the heart, I'm stable to say it somehow. I have several chronic diseases and um, I'm stable if I take care of myself. I have to take a lot of medication and, and physiotherapy and a lot of doctors and stuff, but um, I'm doing fine now. And how, how is, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, COVID's kept everybody inside, but like, how, how has that kind of experience been for you um, otherwise, chess aside? Um, chess is hard. Well, it has been very, very hard, actually, because I just came out from my last hospital stay, which was a bit like a recovery. Um, exactly in Feb at the end of February. And then in April, the first lockdown came in Germany. So all the things actually like in my head, all the expectations, wishes, things I wanted to do, go to the cinema again, meet my friends. Um, I don't know, just go to the library and book shopping, <laughs> whatever, just really pure crushed. And um, yeah, there was nothing I could do about it. I mean, um, the virus is bigger than all of us together. Of course. And um, that was hard. That was really hard because a lot of, I mean, if you, you're so sick for such a long time that you were really, like, cannot eat, cannot drink, you're just laying really in hospital beds for years um you run out of energy very quickly and the recovery is extremely painful also physically and extremely hard and um having hopes and plans even if it's just like going to the cinema again with your friends that um gives you a lot of energy makes you mentally a bit stable and, and strong and of course um I mean, I was happy I had this illusion of everything being fine again while doing the recovery. But it was very, very hard when, yeah, in Germany, the news came that lockdown and everything. Because everything I, I was looking forward to um, wasn't there anymore and wouldn't be possible for a long, long time. It's still not that much possible. But um, I have to say, um, of course, I live with my family still. So it's a great support job from home. And I still have all my friends from school. And of course, we Skype, we call each other, we text each other. But of course, it's not the same, you know? Yeah, of course. Even like chess, like over the board, like in a club is, you know, I mean, I remember when the clubs started opening up in New York again. And, you know, there's like, will they make masks or not? But 
um like just having that back uh it felt like so radical from what we had like over the you know first lockdowns in new york city um i actually think that this kind of discussion i think maybe will segue nicely into the main you know uh cream of the discussion which is you know you are a, a chess journalist i looked uh one of your articles on chess.com has had a hundred thousand views it was about game two so that's pretty crazy um i think that's like one of the most read articles last year um so you've written for chess.com chess base you were telling me you know you had a monthly column in a german magazine at one point uh and you've done some you know featured articles for other sites so you've been doing this uh first of all how long have you been doing this for and second of all i'm wondering you know a lot of chess journalism you can just work from home so uh, was that kind of a consequence of kind of your precarious uh medical situation um yeah definitely um uh where do i start yeah it was 2019 when i um started writing as a journalist for this um Lizinet. it was called this german um <clears throat> online magazine and um i first started writing about music movies and literature and then um while i'm meeting while having a meeting with my um editors they found out that I just got back into chess and that I really liked it. And they already had planned like years ago with a bit of help um, from the German government, um, a chess project to get women and girls into chess. But it, um, yeah, the sponsorship fell and then it wasn't, wasn't possible anymore. So they asked me if I wanted to write something about it. And um. I was quite insecure um, about what to write, which is chess is a vast topic. <laughs> There's so much you can actually say about chess. And they just told me, do whatever you think could be great for young women and girls to know, which is what which was um, the group this project was directed to. And I was like, okay. And um, I sat there and I thought about it and quickly I wrote a whole reportage and I um, interviewed Elizabeth Pitt, the best um, female player in Germany and Lars Schulze, she was at the time the best um, girl under 18 in Germany. Uh, I think she's now, she turned 19 this year perhaps, I'm not sure anymore. But um, yeah, quickly I also um, got in touch with Fide correspondence and, and so on, so on. It was a huge reportage. It was really great. And it was very well accepted. And um, as it was so well received, I suggested my editors, what about a monthly column, you know, to keep the people that got interested now in chess um, a bit updated and to give them more. And it was agreed. And then for six months, I had a monthly column. I interviewed um, and I would say Chuck, that was one of my first really like, yeah, monumental interviews, I'd say, with a world champion. And um, a lot of artists, I wrote about books related to chess, not chess books, but like movies with chess, books with chess, like The Queen's Gambit and critical thinking movies like that, um, about sculptures that had to do with chess, art with chess. And it was also like, um, I might have figured out already a bit like chess connected to real life. So it was a bit more near and realistic for people who weren't chess players. And then due to that, I started writing for uh, chess base, doing especially interviews with top female players because um, they wanted to give them, of course, a bit more, um, yeah, important, not important, but visualization and, and um, yeah, put them in the spotlight. And I mean, I enjoyed that very much. It's always exciting. Um, right. Exactly. And then um, Chesscom got in touch with me and they said, hey, we need someone else here in our team to ride. And um, it was Sam Copeland. And um, yeah, quickly we agreed the contract and everything. And Shortly after that, I got the chance to write the commentary for the uh, second round of the World Championship match between Carlsen and Nepal. It was very exciting because it's a World Championship match. And um, 
yeah, it's of course all remote has come and the work I do for Chatspace too. So that's very useful that it's possible to do that in, in chess as, as good as not many other professions, I guess, or sports, um, because you just can follow it online very easily <laughs> without missing anything. And um, yeah, that was pretty exciting, writing the first report. It was thrilling, but it went very smooth. I mean, I was very, very nervous. And usually it's like five, six hours of writing such a commentary and I remember there were nine hours because the game was one of the longest one of the whole match and I was like great <laughs> my first time and I already have this long game but um, it ended in a draw it was quite um yeah I remember both didn't really blunder but they missed both chances and yeah, it was quite was crazy crazy game mm, it was quite a lot to write so it was a bit um relieved because you never know what they're going to play there was so how they call it uneventful draws and um, yeah, filling a paper with nine hours of an uneventful draw is harder than if they play such a crazy and exciting game. So yeah, a bit of luck in that. And I was, yeah, it took very long. I mean, we started from CTE from German time, uh, half past one, and I went to bed at 12 o'clock because after that, the whole team just works together and edits things and puts in links puts in this and that and this and pictures and that and until it's out it, it takes like an hour still so it was exciting it was a great experience and i'm looking forward to my next big commentary job for chiscom it's in april the well, well sorry the meltwater um tournament in april oh so you're going to be doing coverage for that on on chess.com yep interesting because you know there's that whole like chess.com chess 24 like you know some, like right now, you know, there's a Grand Prix event and there's a Meltwater event. And like, you know, sometimes there's a kind of a lack of coordination or like the Rapid Chess Championship. And so it's I, mm. it's always it's, interesting when they like uh, clash. Yeah, yeah. That's um, funny because like both sides have their own events and report about events from the other sides. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, actually, I made a I made a very good friend uh, here, um, Trum. Uh, shout out, uh, uh, he's a community manager, chess.com, and uh, we we play chess and go betting together. And so he's always telling me about how cool it is that like his job is remote and stuff. So uh, mm. I think the best part about working for chess.com is you get that little chess.com logo next to your name. <laughs> <laughs> the green pawn, yeah, yeah, the green pawn. Such it's such a flex. Um, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, um, you get the Chesscom profile, the um, employee employee profile, and right. you get yeah, it's cool. Just because you also like people, the users get really excited about that. They send you like friend requests, and you accept them, and they challenge you, and you play, and they they get really hyped and excited about it. And I think it's just super sweet, sweet and 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 just nice, you know, that people get so excited about it. You're like, hey, I'm, I'm just a person like you, but um, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, I played. Uh, I remember like when I first came here because I only got here in like in August, and I think like a month after I got here. So, yeah, I, I have to check the game specifically, but I, maybe I wasn't. Maybe it was even in the summer before I came to Denmark. But at some point, I was just in the rapid pool, and suddenly, who do I match up against? One and only Pawn Grubber, director of AI at Chess.com, and I see the 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 green logo, like you said, and I'm like, there's no way, like like you know, because I actually watch his streams sometimes. I follow mm -hmm. him on, on on Twitch. So sometimes I'm like watching his stream. I'm like, what? I just ran into this guy in the pool and he destroyed me in like 24 moves. Cause at that point, I think he was like, you know, 100 or 200 points higher than me. But I got, I got crushed so bad. But it was just like you said, like you see the green logo and you're like, wow, that's so cool. I, I tried to add him as a friend and all that. I'm like, yeah, this is sick. I'm about to be best friends with someone at chess.com. <laughs> like, did that happen? No. But uh, Pond Grubber, if you listen, shout out to you. Uh, I, lo I love your stream. So, um, yeah, just uh, another thing I wanted to just, uh, talk about with these interviews that you've been doing for chess base i've actually i've read all of them uh in preparation for this and thank I you think, so much first of all you're a fantastic interviewer i have to say always you're asking you know always the best questions and um i wanted to ask like in your opinion what was your favorite one that you've done because i i have my own so far that i've read um first i'm hope i hope you do many more i one thing i want i don't know if you've read chess queens by jennifer shahadi um but there's this fact in the book that chess base at one point they had some article many years ago about like basically like something like rating like how like attractive female grandmasters were or something 
Um, so I think chess base has come a long way in 20 years, um, which I think is, is a is a good sign. Um, I did I genuinely didn't know that I was like really shocked. Um, but um, yeah, so I think that you know there's there's definitely huge improvement um, that they've done on in that regard. And uh, I just I I don't know I was just wondering like what your favorite interview has been so far. Yeah, first of all, thank you. I, I'm, I always love feedback about my interviews because um, it's, you know, it's not only a job for me being a chess journalist. It's also like a matter of heart because I love chess so much. And the people from the chess world about apart from being great players, are they all, all of them have a, another story still to tell. And um, yeah, my favorite interview. Oof, good question. Mm, I think somehow like emotionally the one with Sabrina Vega because um, my whole family from my father is from Spain I've spent a lot of time in Spain um, Andorra is also like next to Spain I have a great connection to Spain and also to people from Spain so um, yeah also of course um um, lived with the development of, of chess in Spain and talking to her was so great she's such a great personality and had to work also very very hard being a female player in, in in Spain in the chess world and I of course already knew that before the interview she was a bit closer to me than all the other um, champions I interviewed so I think emotionally the one with Sabrina Vega and um Carissa Yip was super nice, really, it was super sweet. Um, also very, I mean, all of them very down to earth with all the great successes they had. Right. And Sophie Millier, um, my mom and my dad studied in France. So, yeah, it was just nice to, to talk to her. And, and I don't know, I cannot choose. Uh, I don't know. All the cramlings. Perhaps. Yeah, th that's what yeah. I was going to say. I loved reading that one. Yeah. I, really the, the, that I think the the all the, the um, I don't know how to call it the sparks that flew somehow in our Zoom room while we did the interview was so great. The dynamic between the mom and the daughter, um, yeah, it was a blast of an interview, really. And actually, Anna Cramling just hit. I was I was watching her stream when she hit two hundred thousand. Uh, yeah. Followers yesterday. If you watch the stream, you will see you'll see my name somewhere over there, like saying "pog pog pog" like a million times. Yeah. So, that was that was that was completely random. I was just like clicked on her stream. It's, yeah, congrats it's... to that, Anna. Great success. Yeah, huge congrats, Anna, and come on the podcast whenever you want. Uh, you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> no, but but I, I mean, so, I guess uh, something that's, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but it does seem like the female chess world is a little more tight knit than like most communities in in chess. Like even when it comes to like uh, like kind of crosses its like nationalities almost. Like there, there is like uh, I guess just because there's so few women in chess, unfortunately, that there is like a special bond, right? I don't know if you could speak on that at all from your experience. Mm. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. There is a special bond because they know there are few. They know it's so extremely hard still to be a woman in the chess world, especially if you're playing, being a competitive player. And um, I always. Um, I'm always very happy all the, the players I interview for chess base take some time um, after the official interview, like off the record to talk to me. And we discuss a lot of topics and always the one of, of the position of women in, in the chess world. And um, I'm quite shocked that they always, all of them have told me the same. And we had like from Carissa, Anna, 18, 19, up to really 40 plus years old players and they all have experienced the same and still do it got a bit better but it's still there and um of course they all know each other and i think knowing about that knowing that even if they perhaps don't like each other that much it wouldn't be friends normally i think they know that if they do not support each other it's still harder than it already is and i think it's this kind of solidarity that um yeah, it keeps it going and um, that it's needed also by men, <laughs> right. to be honest. David from the future here. Do you want to play chess and improve at chess like your favorite podcast host of your favorite podcast, 64, a chess podcast? In partnership with Chessable, for the next three days, I will be having my own personal sale on the website. 
Just go to chessable.com slash 64 podcast to find some of my favorite chessable courses on sale just for you fans of the show. These include 100 endgames you must know, a true classic of modern chess study for anybody who wants to get better at endgames. Maybe you want to learn the Dragon Sicilian, one of my all-time favorite openings, taught by none other than Grandmaster Anish Giri. Well, you can buy the Lifetime Repertoires, Dragon Sicilian, on sale if you go to chessball.com slash 64 podcast. And now, back to the show. <laughs> but from, from your experience and from your conversations, I'm, I'm kind of, this is something I ask um, every, every girl or woman that comes on my show. Just like, what, what do you think the, the chess world needs to do, be doing better for, for you guys right now? Questions. Yeah, it's it's a big question. I I know, but uh... um, yeah, I try to split it up. Um, for example, the thing that's the nearest to me professionally in journalism is how it is reported about women and girls in chess. Um, I'm still shocked every time. For example, there is a sentence that I can't forget about. I hope I pronounce it right. Goryachinka, the Russian female player who just hit like. 2600, yeah. Exactly. Elo, she broke the mark. And um, Emma Fan, she's great. She's still young. She's got a bright future ahead, I believe. And she played in the Russian league. They call it the men's one and the women's one. It's not called the open one. The women can play in the men's one. And she played there last year. And it was the official, official commentary of Fide that said, I don't know who wrote it, but... It said like Angorechinka, we just hit blah blah blah, and this not GM blah blah blah. Um, she already has a spot in the candidates. Oh no, I think it was the the FIDE, um Grand Prix. Well, anyway, our tournament where she played with men instead of women. The official commentary then said, and she's trying her luck in the men's section to see how far she comes. There's not directly anything wrong with that sentence, but it's always the way it's phrased, the way it's put. So it's the way the connotation, and it's always like that. And it's sexism that it's so in, in people's brain, brains that um, they're not aware of it anymore. I don't believe the whole um, reporting that's done on women's chess that's wrong or sexist is done on purpose that would be very sad mm -hmm. but it's so deep inside of many many people's brain and so we also know sexism is generally also worse in some countries than others and it also depends a bit of the generation stuff um and i'm not only talking of male players male journalists also some female ones have it sadly so i think first of all creating awareness and i always think i'm a Big supporter of perhaps having someone in uh, between the editors that just it does not have to be obligatory a woman, but someone who takes care of this, who looks at it, who reads again with an objective point of view, who reads it again, who perhaps looks at the streams, looks at the videos, and takes care that there aren't any sexistic things that women are not shown worse than the man, that everything is equal, that they get the respect they deserve. Um, I think just someone who controls it from time to time, who points it out, so it can be changed. Because mm -hmm. I don't believe they don't want to change it. I hear from a lot of people that they want to change it, also from male players, male journalists, but they're really not aware of what to change because they have been having this ways for years. <laughs> so I think... Um, it's, it wouldn't be that hard, perhaps also in the feed it, to put someone there, to put someone over big magazines, journals, and so on, who controls this. And I believe there are enough people who would be able to do it. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I actually do remember the, the incident you're talking about. I think it was with the, it was like the super final, the Russian super final, where she was the only woman, who, and I think she scored like seven out of nine, maybe or six and a half out of nine. You see, it's like incre incredible score. And uh, yeah, I I do remember remember what you what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's funny. I think you bring up a very good point too, because like when it comes to sexism in countries, I don't even think you can necessarily chalk it up always to that. Like something that shocked me again. I think reading Jennifer Shahadi's book, but I also have noticed this playing chess in Denmark. Denmark is considered a very progressive country by you know the Western world standards. We have a female prime minister here, and uh, I think it, like it has one of the best metrics for you know gender equality in the workplace. 
but I think it's something like 2% of the Federation is, is female. Yeah. And it's like, even one of the, I played at one of the clubs in Copenhagen and there wasn't a women's bathroom. There's only mm -hmm. urinals in the bathroom. And I, I thought about this and I had, you know, it was something I never really considered before reading the book was like, imagine you're a girl who's like, you know, wants to play in her first chess tournament and it's bad enough that, you know, you may be the only girl or one other girl there. But now also, if you need to use the bathroom, it's urinals. So there is basically like, you know, like, I, I don't know, to me, that was that, like, what kind of message does that send? And I, mm -hmm. I don't think that's something that's necessarily that hard. So to, to fix. But, uh, you know, it, it kind of like shocked me because, you know, the way I've always thought of Denmark is a very like forward thinking country. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know if it's a cultural thing that just like girls in Denmark just don't get into chess. But if, if that's the case and why is that the case, I think you always have to kind of like dig a little further. But um, yeah, so that was, exactly. that was just something like that just uh, I don't, mm -hmm. again, I don't know if you read that book, uh, but you definitely should. No, it's on my pile to read, <laughs> to be honest. But um. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy about Jennifer Shady. She always gives, put some light in the dark and she's mm -hmm. doing a great job, really. I admire her a lot for that, also for the energy she always has. But um, there's also a story like that with the toilets in Germany. There wasn't a girl's bathroom in, I think, in a club that even wanted to attract more girls. And they didn't realize they can't go to the bathroom properly. Mm -hmm. and, and it's shocking. It's shocking, really. And... Um, yeah, that's quite a phenomenon that um, countries that are actually very progressive in terms of gender equality have an extreme low percentage of female participation. I did some research about that and talk, it's nothing official, but I talked to some people about that. And the point is this sexism is still there in the chess world. And in these countries that are so progressive somehow, Girls get way more encouraged to get into mint, into science, into technology, into careers, in the, just the same as boys do. So a lot of them tell themselves, hey, even if I want to play chess, but I'm being so discriminated there because of my gender, I can use my abilities maybe for another sport or for something else way more better. And I've seen that a lot and I've talked to a lot of people who for which it happened like that. And um, of course, with, if you have a great memory, if you are good at tactical thinking, critical thinking, you can use all these things in, in other jobs at university and become an engineer, right? And an artist, whatever. You can always use something you learn at chess in the real life. And um, a lot of them then think, okay, but it's even easier for some to get into football. It's still also very sexist. Than to it's into in, chess in countries where you might not believe it that women still get that much discrimination and yeah yeah I th I think actually you know if you look at America I think you I think that's completely true um, you also like if you're let's say 18 in America you are like a top female player you probably will get a full scholarship at like top American universities. Um, but many of them, except like if it's in Missouri, they don't have like chess teams. So you basically, you know, you secure the bag, you get a free education basically for being, you know, an accomplished teenager. But now you're not going to play chess for four years. And, you know, who knows what you're going to learn at university and four years away from chess. I mean, like Hans Niemann, he's he's like 26, 50 or whatever. And he quit. He didn't go to college. He's He's just pursuing his professional career because he thinks he can make enough money on the circuit. But I don't think any female player under the age, just because there's not enough tournaments for, for like these, like, you know, 2400 2500 like female players in america like who need i guess they need those opportunities and they don't get them so yeah i, I think i think that's like uh i i do think that someone should like really kind of go dig deeper into uh into those numbers too because this must be something that's researchable exactly i mean i'm it's just a super good point you mentioned like um for example i want to take the example of carissa but let's say a, a random girl like carissa is very successful who has the safest, brightest future ahead. She, she wants to go to college. And let's imagine then she, this girl is super, super good at college, already a young woman actually. And she gets like soon a job, her has very bright future in univers at university. And then she sits down and has to make a decision, pursue my chess career or my academical career. Uh, you just have to look at the payment, at the numbers. I mean, we all have to make a living. Of course, I just, 
at a certain number, you can say, okay, those thousands do not matter. I have enough, but they do matter for GBP much as supplies because they get so little right. in comparison to the men who already don't get that much in professional chess compared to other sports. Imagine how little the women get. Right, exactly. And it's, and it's so hard to make a living out of it. And even if you love it so much, you also have to take care of yourself. Maybe you already have like, I don't parents to take care. Not everyone is born rich. I mean, you maybe even have to pay half of your college fees or whatever. You, you have to take care of yourself and of your future. And not all, it's not always that easy to pursue your dreams, you know? So um, I understand why so many leave. And college, college prices in America, it's not like Europe. That's all I'll say. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's get, can get pretty crazy. I have two cousins that uh, were born in the United States, in, in Boston, now they're in California. The eldest one is now in, in college. Um, it's not that cheap, <laughs> like in other countries. So um, you really have to, to do make a decision at a young age already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, I, this is again, I mean, I'm going to ask Jennifer about this next week in, in her book because I'm going to have her on the show. So stay tuned for that, guys. Great. But, um, this is another thing I noticed in her book. Like she profiles a lot of these, you know, young people that like young female stars that she was like kind of, you know, living in New York with. And many of them just, they, they had to put off chess for school because chess wasn't paying them enough. And, um, and I really wonder like how far could they have gone if they had, you know, if, 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 if they had enough money in the, in the tournaments that they were playing, many of them could have just actually stuck with chess for a few years. And then who knows, maybe, you know, maybe the average rating of female grandmasters is like a hundred points higher because of that, just because there's actually more people playing. I mean, it's a problem when, you know, all the, all the talents are leaving and then you, then you have, of course, you're going to have a rating disparity. If, if all, the, all the talents are leaving, you know, like this is something I ne that never really clicked for me. But it's, I, so I know that the United States, we do a pretty okay job compared to other countries with like, you know, the U.S. Junior Girls Championship and Women's Championship having these pretty big prize pools, I guess. Um, but it could still be much better, of course. Yeah, a uh, really, really good point you mentioned there. Um, that's why... I don't know if I'm the only one who noticed it, but take Chess Able or Chess24, Chesscom, um, the female employees, a lot of them are women international master, women feeder master, feeder master. They even have some women grandmasters there. Um, they did not leave chess because they weren't good enough. They left chess because they had to. They had to, to make a living from something, a secure living. And they saw like being becoming an engineer, becoming a journalist, becoming an author, um, a data developer, something in IT would have given them a normal job with a safe income. And they have chess as, as a hobby and they still love it as much as they did before, but they did not have the chance to do it professionally. And I know a lot of them and I know it's like that. So um, yeah, I also know the ones that the female players that are now at the top, let's take Elizabeth Bates or similars are because they started being very young and they got not only help for the from the government but also sponsorships so they could actually already have the idea i can take this seriously i can spend all my energy and efforts on this because it's gonna work out in a future i have a future at chess and i'll probably if i'm good enough um i'll be able to 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 make a living from it and um take a look at how many female players really get sponsorship it hurts <laughs> it's very yeah, low it's really also low. yeah and it's like a vicious cycle i believe like um low price money it's not really attractive for a sponsor um for sponsoring and and so they get less sponsoring so not not so many can play and train and pay a train and travel and then traveling and everything and it's, it's like a vicious cycle that should be broken now it's always a question who who is the most indicated party to break that. Like <laughs> which the I, of the egg, right? Mm, which I'm not always. I don't like that the chess world says like, yeah, yeah, we just need more women to get into chess. I think that's the wrong perspective. Um, sure, get them into chess, but they will come as soon as they see they are treated equally. No 14, 13 year old girl, girl or 12 year old girl goes into a chess club 
it's less the matter that she's only the one girl there if she's treated white and equally and it's not looked weak weirdly at her and she's treated nicely and politely just like the boys are treated that's not really the problem being the only girl between men if you're treated right equally it's yeah but that really nearly does not happen so everyone says like yeah we have to get more women into tests but i'm like that will come automatically if you show them hey you're respected you're treated equally we really want you to stay and not just for the image or for the numbers but we want you to stay because we know Diversity makes it all better because, I mean, we're 50% male and 50% female population in the world. I think like the chess world would never get it so, never bloom totally as much as it wants to if 50% of the world population of potential players are being discriminated still. And I think a lot of people are not aware of that. 100%. You mean, it doesn't matter how many people you bring if, uh, if you can't keep them. So Exactly. Yeah. Magnus Carlsen at the opening ceremony of the last World Championship, there were many questions about what they can, what Nepo and Carlsen think they can, that can be done to get more female players into chess. And I think it's a very important thing he said that the way he has seen it with schools and youth projects, the girls and boys love chess just the same. It's also the impression I have. And the problem really starts when they get start getting older and society starts making this division between girls and boys especially in the chess clubs and the chess world and chess community. And the thing is not that girls don't have the brains for chess or they just don't like it as much. Um, they do like it as much. They just don't get the same treatment, the same chances. And then why are you going to do this to yourself? You just could go to another sport when you're 12 or something like that. But right. you just want a hobby to a hobby to, to spend your time and have fun. And then if you like look at like the Polgar sisters, for example, they were basically raised like they were homeschooled. So they they didn't really have that same. I mean, of course, the society is even probably more sexist, honestly, like, you know, 40 years ago when they were coming up on the scene. But they, they were kind of. I don't want to say protected from that, but isolated. They were, a bit. Yeah, they were they were kind of isolated from from that. And they were kind of like raised in a vacuum a little bit. So um... I, I also wonder sometimes if that maybe if that affected their, you know, their ability just because they didn't have to worry about, you know, certain, uh, you know, creepy people at the chess club or demeaning comments like, uh, like, uh, you know, in chess scenes immediately, you just go to the tournament and, you know, you have a parent who really cares about you and is trying to just make you successful. If I can say something about that still, um, I got asked in the last interview I did after winning the world championship, um, about my experiences with sexism in chess, which um, we're already, are already a lot as a player. And I mean, I'm only playing honestly for two years, seriously. <laughs> and they're already a lot, but they asked me um, why I, I continued and I didn't leave it like that. And I think um, I, I come from a very um, gender equal household. I've had never, not even at my schools, I did Andorra never. We had, I went to a private school. It was really protected from that. We all were treated equally, no matter the race, the gender, where we came from, what our parents did. And I'm very grateful for that because when I left, when I was 14, I already had a strong mindset knowing that no one can put themselves above me only because I'm a woman and they think they are a man. And um, I did not tolerate sexism at all because it was not tolerated in my whole life. And uh, I have a sharp eye for it. Some people say I exaggerate, but I do not. I just have never experienced it. And if you suddenly find something that's wrong, you notice it. So, I mean, I, by no means I'm trying to compare myself to Polar sisters, but I also come from a bubble, from a, a sexism bubble, if you can call it like that. And my dad trains me and he has this super, super good female team in Spain. They, they crush the boys, the old man, the experienced place, like, nothing else and they're super good why not because they're smarter than the men or these girls are super gifted or smarter like all the smartest ones around no no they're just normal girls like i was at their age but dad believed in them as dad believed in me and my dad never has trained me different than any boy or anything else on the contrary he knows about my abilities about my capacities and when he said i'm training you but don't believe it's going to be easy um it's going to be the hardest training you're ever gonna get and I said yes that's what I want I want to improve myself you know and it's because they that's awesome nev exactly never made a difference between me 
and boys. And that's why I could grow up in such a healthy environment. And um, now when I face sexism, uh, I have like three weeks ago or a month ago, I had a really ugly story um, regarding that. But um, I, of course, have a healthy environment at home. Friends, I picked myself that are not sexist. And, and I mean, I'm 23, I'm grown up still young but grown up and 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 have a backbone regarding the things but you do not when you're 12 and you don't have to do it you don't have to be able to to overcome that alone when you're 12 because no one does of course but i think the other unfortunate thing is you know the chess world needs it it, it can't just say okay we're taking care of the sexism thing because you know they have hyper vigilant people like tatiana who will call it out you need to have like <laughs> average people at the chess club say, "Hey, no, this isn't okay." You know, when, exactly. when somebody is is doing that, I think that that's really this. But that's like more of a societal thing, and mm-hmm. this is just goes back to the conversation about where where and how you break the the vicious cycle, like you put it. Um, I do think it can be broken. I really believe that. Um, Definitely, I do too. I mean, look, every sport in the world, perhaps apart from ballet, and perhaps ice skating has been always male dominated um like darts hunting everything gymnastics and and women slowly pulled their way through it because they had said the proof we are just the same and it is like that it was just i don't know we just were discriminated for so long so i believe the cycle can be broken because there is not a, such a a sport for everyone as chess is i completely agree with judy paul of that the thing is just how and when <laughs> already we already talked about like what the, the journalists the editors the big pages that provide info and things about chess can do and i think in in the clubs it's all about cyber courage about standing in speaking up and saying it is wrong and um i think it's yeah, the more the oftener that it's done, the easier it gets for everyone. Because I believe that from 50 men in a chess club, that if one says the things things to a girl or is very uncomfortable for her or does something that's wrong or says something that's wrong, the other 49 don't want to tolerate it and usually wouldn't. But it's this, I don't know if you can call it peer pressure, the silence that's been maintained for so, so long. And um yeah, just don't be afraid. No matter if you're a boy or a man, just say, hey, that was just a sexist comment. The girl can play against you and be as strong as a boy. Just don't say that. And it's never, you're not also like um, being rude to the person that said this. As I said, sometimes this point of views are just so rooted in people that don't even notice. They're saying, oh my God, you're playing against a girl, crush her. Why did you lose against a girl? You should be stronger than her. Um, I think, yeah, just, Speaking up in the clubs and in the simultaneous exhibitions, um, no matter how old you are, no matter how, how old the other per- person who said it is, um, I think that really will help. And especially it will help the victim knowing, hey, not all the men in this club are like this or not all the people in this club are like this. And um, I think it would be nice if a bit more focus lay on the victims that face sexism, like unfair accusing, accusement of cheating, which also happened to me, all that things, because it's then the victim, the female player has to go home with that, with that bad feeling. And even at a young age, how do you deal with that? Someone accused you of cheating was it recently? Yeah. <laughs> That's... Yeah, yeah. Um, during the World Championship, too. So I guess we should dive into this World Championship um yeah you're in company with uh with magnus carlson as a current world championship holder recognized by fide but uh (laughs) first of all how does that feel well it was a world championship for people with disabilities of course it's a separate from that nevertheless we don't you know we don't have to go into the you know it's still world championship no yeah yeah of course um it's 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 cool (laughs) it's very cool very cool so how long do you hold the title for um, as far as I know, they don't change it for four years. Four years. Every two years, every four years. Oh wait, well, I, have a I thought normally I thought normally it's two years. If it's four years, it's even better. Yeah, sorry, two years. Yeah, I was two thinking years. that the next world championship is in twenty four. Exactly. Sorry, I missed. I the see. Part. Yeah, no problem. Two years. Right. 
two years. Um, That's yeah, we don't so get we, another virus or something. <laughs> yeah, well, hope. <laughs> no, yeah. Hope not. So this was um this was the fourth world championship for people with disabilities, and it was held online by FIDE. Um, you know, FIDE, of course, deservedly under a lot of hate uh, these days for you know a ton of reasons, uh, especially with the Russia stuff. But I gotta give them credit where it's due. I think that's it's very important that that these kinds of things are are held. Yeah, thank you. I mean, um, that's like always with big associations. FIDE, of course, has done something wrong, some things wrong, but they also do a lot of great things. And especially in these hard times, um, holding this world championship, I know, was very, very special and important for many of us, players with disabilities. And for example, in my case, my disabilities are not visible. You would, like my friends, like if we hang out for a couple of hours, you wouldn't notice them, but they're still there. They're, they are there and um, they do a lot. And um, I think, um, for example, when it was announced, the World Championship for people with disabilities, um, also Chessbase shared it. And I read a comment that of a user that said, um, I don't understand why, why blind people, well, blind, yes, but why, why deaf people or people who are in wheelchairs or why people who are sick or missing an arm or a leg get like an extra world championship. Like as long as they have a hand to move, it should be the same. And I'm, I, was, I got angry at this comment at first, but then I thought, hmm, this person does not know better. And this person does not know all the inconveniences you have to carry along with that disability. For example, you might get tired. I mean, there's several disabilities, but you might get tired quicker than others. Um, if you're deaf, it's way more harder for you to learn chess than for others. You have to have a translator. You have to have, okay, books work, but think about, for example, you, David, all the videos, all the Twitch streams you look at, they don't have subtitles. I, without Twitch, I would not be playing chess even, by the there way. There you go. So How do you do that? It's so much more effort, so much um, more expensive, so much more harder to learn chess if you're have, if you blind, of course, if you're deaf, if, even if you're missing a hand. It's so much harder. And okay, you might say, well, this person's only missing a hand, but you don't know the pain this person has. You don't know if it's, for example, from diabetes or any other illness. You just cannot judge this. Judge you. Well, you just can cannot judge this person by just what you see. And um, Fide has done a great job um, with the commission for with the disc commission people commission for people with disabilities. And I know the Martin Luther. I think. Uh, well, the grandmaster who's the chair of it, and he has a disability himself. He also has played when he was young. He was a professional chess player and he played in normal tournaments. And then when he got older, the, his disability got worse. And um, I know him a bit personally and he's doing a great job and Fide is supporting it greatly. And I'm happy about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And just, just to talk a little bit about the tournament itself, um... So how many rounds was it and, uh, you know, would, how, how, like, just what, what was it like to, like, the, the, the process towards winning this thing? Because you're <laughs> on your computer, right? Probably in your room, right? Like, you know, during, uh, you know, during some, probably some COVID lockdown, you know. Just, yeah, uh, exactly. Kind of surreal. Um, it was surreal. Um, it was very exciting and it was a roller coaster of feelings and 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 of everything that had to do with it. So um, it was held on Tornello. And I also have to give a shout out to Tornello. They did a super function for, or tool, I don't know what you would call that, for people who are blind so that they can play now without any assistance. But such a huge steps also for the players, feeling comfortable and, and nearly equal to the other ones, you know really great job and they did with that in cooperation with Fide and some other people but um yeah the Tornella has done some really really great things during this pandemic years I'm really happy about it and I love playing on Tornella so yeah Tornella nine rounds um classic car control I think 45 minutes plus 15 seconds for every move from move one if I'm not wrong um 
exciting. <laughs> I, of course, um, I've never played except for my dad who came to visit me this Christmas. Um, my boyfriend some, who studies in a different town and sometimes comes visit me. I've never played against any other person. And this since lockdown over the board. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. So actually everything. So we also train online with my dad because he lives in Spain. He came for a week during Christmas. But okay, of course, we didn't do only a chess mm -hmm. camp <laughs> just to spend some time with family. But, um, but Germany is also especially strict with COVID, I think, compared to the rest of Europe. Uh, <laughs> well, they were. <laughs> Um, has that has that changed? I'm going to Germany in a month, actually. So uh... from second April, masks are not going to be necessary, except from and train and public transport transportation stuff devices and stuff. Um, except from yeah, train and and um, the subway stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not very excited about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's also quite okay to get into the uh airplanes and right. airports stuff like that but they were strict at the very beginning actually and around christmas they were already thinking about the second lockdown so um my dad actually came the week before i think he flew back to spain two mornings before they restricted a lot who could come in to the country with plane or not so we were quite happy about that so that was actually the first time i played in this two years since I came out of the hospital seriously against someone over the board. It was great. <laughs> I mean, it was exciting, really. Um, yeah, everything I've done is online. Of course, I, I have several boards in my room and books, and I also use a bit of everything, books, videos, tutorials, DVDs from Chessbase. Um, of course, Chesscom, I have premium membership. Um, I use a bit of everything. <laughs> And um, yeah, I'm used to online chess. So yeah. because it's the chess somehow, I, the chess with which I relearn chess. <laughs> That's how I learned chess too. And I've always talked about like, like the, as someone who learned chess online, like the switch from online to over the board was brutal. I mean, I like three, just, just entering 3D. And even like during the lockdowns, when I first got back to OTP chess after basically a year of a year and a half, even of just grinding chess entirely online with, you know, Twitch streams and chessable lessons and all that. Shout out chessable once again. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a nightmare. I mean, I think I lost like 13, 13 OTP games in a row um, against, you know, so so I can't even. But then, you know, for this world championship, right? So so you, you play this, you said with Tornello and nine Second. rounds. How many rounds did you win? uh six and a half out of nine and was that a, that was that was uh no playoff just clinch first easy peasy we had a, a tie break it was uh buchholz buchholz tie break and actually the second female place player had six and a half points too but i had such an enormous um buchholz that i got the first place <laughs> yeah well, yeah. it's it's always nice to win on, uh, you know, it's always it's always nice to be on the winning sides of those uh, metrics. Yeah, I mean, um, like the top players of the elite players. You well, you, sign... you beat better players. Yeah, so it's yeah, absolutely. Fair. You you sign the papers and you you are okay with that. And when the timer yeah. comes out, what comes out, you know, right. you I mean, you are informed when you start playing such a thing. So you cannot complain. Afterwards, right, actually. obviously. Yeah. So are, is um. Are you excited to play the next one maybe in Dubai? You know, maybe you're going to have a <laughs> challenger, you know? Or... Um, well, as far as I know, it's always done in cooperation with the Dresdner um, Schach Festival, the chess festival here in Dresden. So um, as far as I know, it has always taken place there. So I really hope it takes place there in 24 too. Well, it's in, yeah, that... it's in Germany too. So it can't be that far. Exactly. So... Uh, wouldn't be that far and I could go like I know with a friend or my boyfriend or even my dad could come and um yeah it would be that hard for me to travel there and it was so expensive and stuff so um, I have high hopes I will be here in Germany I also would feel a bit more comfortable like yeah being somewhere I know and and, and yeah but I'm excited let's see how it goes <laughs> hopefully no like uh you know 
tri gamma delta variant comes and uh, you know keeps us hey. indoors for much longer. Yeah, I think um yeah, no, let's not hope for that. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Um, last thing I'll ask you, uh, for this podcast, just, uh, for our players and listeners to get to know you a little better. Um, what's your favorite chess opening? English. English. Yes. Why? Um, was I started with E4, E5 at school? I don't know if it's because I wasn't near Spain that we always played for love <laughs> It's actually not the easiest one for beginners, but you know, Spain, we love that. Yeah. So um, yeah, we always played like that in school. Mm. I started playing again with Lopez when I started and I just didn't feel comfortable at all. It was always the same as I have had a long time. I said, Dad, give me something different. And um, then I had some chess friends like saying, but no, no, stick to E4, D4. It's the basic for the beginners. And I'm like, I'm not a beginner. <laughs> like, I'm starting again, but like, I'm not new to this. And and my dad, like, he knows me and he knows my courage and then my abilities and stuff. Said, let's try C4, a bit more positional, but very rich in possibilities. And and I bloomed. I loved it. So I love C4. C4. Yeah, English. I don't have the I don't have the courage. I, I decided to be a D4 player and I'm trying to stick to a normal repertoire now. Um but yeah. uh, C4 is like my guilty pleasure in Blitz because it's mm. just it's 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 so fresh and I feel like it's always a different kind of game when you're playing C4. Yeah. And um I know like um GM Simon Williams, he made whole his his whole road up to GM by only playing the English. I think that's impressive. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah. I love English, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's how you know that opening is good. Like every time I learn these stories of you know GMs like one tricking an opening like to like national master, fide master, it's like wow, that's like that's in, that's just insane. Yeah, it's a strong opening. Very strong. Mm. Um, well, Tatiana, where can uh, where can my listeners find you on on socials? And uh, what's your next uh, what's your next big uh, move, either on or off the chessboard? <laughs> question well i'm on twitter on facebook and i also have a blog and tumblr and of course on chesscom you just can add me as a friend and challenge me if you want to i'm always up for some games when i have time um i mean i love it playing against our users really and um, my next move in chess i'm focusing a bit on mental training right now because i had like a really ugly experience with Someone who said was a chess friend of mine, you know, stabbing my stopped me a bit in the back. That hurts, so I decided I I have to start learning how to deal with all that to not let it touch me that deeply, so I can really strike back even harder at chess. So I'm focusing a bit on mental training, mental strength in chess, which I'm enjoying very much actually. Um. Yeah, I think my next big move is getting the Fide Master title. There's a big tournament in summer here in Germany, but I think I'm not going to go this year still, especially seeing how the numbers are still breaking records every day of new infections in Germany. I think I'll keep that for next year well prepared and with my dad and I'll take my boy with me, <laughs> so my crew with me. So yeah, we can go well prepared then. I think that's uh, my next big move like a big tournament and um i keep training three four hours a day wow um, three four hours a day wow yeah <laughs> yeah um of course they asked like last week i took a week off i only played one day how but... dare you how dare you yeah how dare i take I yeah, don't think you play enough. I think you should be playing <laughs> five to six hours a day, actually. Are you really serious about this? Yeah, no, I'm terrible. <laughs> no, yeah, um, but it, it was nice. But I've learned, if we can give like a little tip to the audience, that sometimes you really need some days off from chess, from what you've trained. I mean, I'm really a brain person focused on, on like, I mean, I'm, I have a dedicated health since I'm a kid. So I think I've never been really the one for physical sports. So I really always took care a lot of, of mental stuff, mental activities. I love learning. I love reading. I love doing new things with my mind. And um, I really found out like, well, yeah, it's, it's 
I mean, of course, in other things, like you also need the brain to give it, you need to give your brain some time to process things. I don't know why I thought it would be different chess, but really sometimes even taking two, three days, a two, three day break um, helps a lot. You feel super refreshed and have a lot of energy. And I think what's sometimes really important motivation. Like, hey, okay, now I thought about it. I dreamed about it. I had nightmares about it, but now I'm ready for it. <laughs> exactly. I- I can, I actually, I completely vouch for that. I've talked about this on the podcast before. I, I've played piano most of my life and being in Denmark, I don't have access to piano. Um, I, I played piano for the first time since December, like, so like three months, I very rarely go even more than a week without, you know, playing something on piano, even though I don't really practice anymore. Um, and this is a huge break. I found that first of all, even though I forgot a lot of stuff, my technique was better. Because I all these bad habits that you build up over over time, like yeah. they just disappear because you have to just rely on your brain. I think it's the same thing with chess. You develop these kind of bad habits from training or from playing a bunch of games, like stupid sacrifices and blitz. And take a week break, take a two week break, come back, all nice and fresh, motivated, exactly. like you said. Um, no, but but I think you know maybe you should be playing eight to ten hours. Um, from, from <laughs> I have to on. work, you know, I have a yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, whatever. If you have a job. <laughs> Like even this this podcast, I mean, why do I even do this podcast? You know, I should be spending all my podcast time like playing chess. Who cares? Yeah, especially yeah. bullet. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, that's one of the best things. I barely play bullet, and then the other day I was just like, you know, I gained like oh, two hundred rating points because I just hadn't played in like two years or whatever. Mm. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I barely play blitz. My dad uh, prohibited me after the world championship to play blitz because um. I have a little issue with my eyes um, that I, it takes me a long time to um, distinguish the pieces. For me, they're a bit blurry, just like a lot of pain. So it takes me quite a while to um, distinguish which piece it is. So um, I, of course, um, I'm playing bullet. Um, blitz for me is like playing bullet somehow. And I was so frustrated and he's told me, but if you have this issue, why do you, I mean, it's, it's my brain, something, my brain does weirdly. And so what do you focus so much and, and playing blitz like the others who don't have this? And I'm like, because everyone plays blitz and everyone says blitz is so super cool. And I was like, yeah, but you're such a bomb at classic. I mean, you've been playing for two years and you already solved GM tactics and and, and and positions and stuff and have such a good analytical power and memory. Like, why don't you focus on, on, on the classic girl? You, and right. Yes, yeah, sometimes you also need some fresh air. And I stopped playing Blitz for like six months or something like that. And then I slowly got into Rapid again. And it worked out very well. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I I've just want to say, you know, before we end the show, I, you know, I wish you all the best with your health and, uh, you know, continued success in the journalism. And I'll be following uh, your career very closely. I really love your work. And um, yeah, I hope we do it again. Thank you so much, David. So, um, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Uh, check out Tatiana's uh, Twitter, Instagram, etc. cetera. I'll be linked below. Um, if you like this episode, you want to support it, leave a review. Um, Apple Podcast, Spotify, you can just leave either star review or write something nice uh, in the reviews. Um, lastly, I want to thank my sponsors once again. Thank you, Chesspool, so much for the support. Uh, thank you, Aim Chess, as always, for sponsoring the podcast. Um, you know, 30% off, David 30, you know how it is. And uh, lastly, uh, if you want to support the podcast financially, dollar a month, uh, check out patreon.com slash 64 podcast. Um, this has been another episode. Um, and uh, hope you guys enjoy and I'll see you guys next week. Take it easy.